the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast to neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing, operations, and digital teams to drop the silos and stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 155. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about designing for today's consumers rather than yesterday's. How do we engage consumers whose digital expectations are now greater than ever? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I host a discussion about the link between marketing technology, or MarTech, and business process improvement. We're joined by Drew Diskin, who shares some provocative thinking about how to operationalize your brand promise. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. Your business strategy is either playing to yesterday's consumer or today's. How do you know the difference? Status quo businesses are trying to revive demand for their existing services. Innovative businesses are making the digital pivot and creating new services. Status quo businesses are clinging to the thought that consumers think, act, and buy in the same way as they did before the pandemic. Innovative businesses know that that's not the case and are racing for blue oceans. Status quo businesses are building for yesterday. Innovative businesses are building for today and tomorrow. What's driving these changes? We're going to be engaging consumers whose digital expectations are greater than ever. Thus, there are three digital priorities as we come out of the pandemic. Number one, manage results, not platforms. We're approaching the end of a decade-long period where digital teams focused on learning individual platforms and creating silos of expertise. This is the time to shift the focus toward understanding how the platforms interact with each other and how the data flows between them. Number two, compete on your digital experience. Renew your focus on innovating touch points to make the digital experience easier and more convenient. Number three, build your digital culture. It's time to finally, once and for all, drop the silos between all the teams that have traditionally owned parts of digital. When these teams come together and actively work towards shared goals, they can create experiences that no department can create on its own. It isn't easy to let go of the legacy approach to healthcare. We have to reimagine our business strategy, the tech to support it, and most importantly, the people who do the work and the culture that either supports or hinders them. 
but that's our charge, and there's no looking back. And that's the flavor of the week. Well, ladies and gentlemen, anytime I have a chance to just uh, have a conversation with Zane, I'm thankful for it. Zane, how are you doing today? Good. I'm good, Jared. Still trying to get through this pandemic life, just like everyone else, but uh, I'm doing good. I'm hopeful for the future. That's good to hear. I do like just how things have continued to trend in the right direction where we can feel more positive, you know, more optimistic about where things are going. Yeah, you know, I mean, there are a few variants out there, but I mean, I'm no physician, but me as a layman, I'm less concerned now that so many Americans are stepping up to get vaccinated. And I think here in the U.S., we're doing nearly 2 million doses per day, which is fantastic. And so we're, we're well on our way to getting out of this pandemic. Oh, I love it. That's a great thought. It's going to keep me going here for a little yes. while. That's going to you, even uh, that, that's an awesome thing right there in and of itself. I do understand you have something awesome that you can share with us to get us going here. Uh, some kind of new app. I don't I don't know. Yeah, so a good friend of mine, um, she's a engineer, ex-engineer with Tesla, very innovative. Her name is Ruth Koshis. She sent me the other day a link to an app called Forecast. And it's the coolest thing. Um, you go onto the app and you make predictions and you're sort of given a, you know, a virtual pot of points or money. And you make predictions and then based on whether or not they come true, you win more points. And you can also go to other folks' predictions and basically select which outcome you think is most likely. And so what you see is like, you know, we might see like how likely is it that the Red Wings will win the Stanley Cup this year? You know, 100% likely, 50%, so on and so forth. And then as, as that prediction comes true or not, you move up and down on the leadership scoreboard. And so what's been cool is there's been a lot of um, predictions made around issues related to COVID. So things like, know, what vaccine will be most popular amongst Americans or, you know, what percentage of Americans will get vaccinated. And so I've won a few points, especially since I have firsthand knowledge of likely what some of those answers will be. And so it's the coolest thing. And what I really appreciate about it, Jared, especially being someone who's, you know, has an affinity for foresight strategy, it's really cool to like use this tool to like crowdsource to see what people are thinking or at least how they're thinking. And I try to go on it every day just to see know how people feel about a different subject and potentially those insights can be used elsewhere so definitely check it out it's called forecast i love it as if i needed you know something a little bit more to spend my time but right. uh, actually some days that's going to come into play really right. really nice right. between yeah. clubhouse and forecast and netflix i don't know how anyone has time to work well, who needs to do that anyway? <laughs> we'll tell you what, we're going to dive into what we're talking about today, which is kind of a different look at all really at the MarTech stack and ways that we improve it and ways that we use it for our good. And here's what I mean by that, Zane. Really, when I look back at the last decade or so, we've had the function of marketing. Anyone really in a digital role under marketing or communications has had the role of learning a platform or learning a lot of platforms, just one after another, after another, after another, and trying to get the basics of them down and the rules of engagement and then plug them into your strategy and use them together to, I'm going to use the O word, optimize. It's overused in my opinion. Uh, I don't have a better word for it though. So to optimize. It works. You know, our, our strategy there. And a couple of things have happened when I look back over the last decade or so. Really, we've had 
really that time. And I think we're coming to the end of it. I think we're approaching the end of this decade long period where the MarTech function was to learn how to manage platforms. And as a result, we've created these silos of expertise about a certain platform. It might be Salesforce or even thinking about how it relates to the EHR. It might be around the EHR, but like with the, you know, the marketing or the patient relationship aspect of the EHR data of, it could be any number of things. It could be Hootsuite, you know, like, like it could yep. be a social media tool. Survey monkey. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good one. There are so many different tools. We can, we can probably spend the rest of the, the time just naming them off. And what we've seen, if we look back, we haven't necessarily been managing results. We've just been managing platforms. Yeah. So there is a big need for the digital function anywhere related to any MarTech that's in an organization to understand it, to use it better, and really to learn how to drive it. And the other observation is that, you know, where has it led us? Well, we really are in a, I do think overall we're in a better position than we were at the beginning, you know, of, of the, you know, a decade ago, but we are going to struggle to create and compete on, on a digital consumer experience if those platforms are not tied to each other. And so I've used, I just keep uh, latching onto this analogy of having a Ferrari in the garage yeah. where we've let the, the tech itself outpace our understanding of how to use it. Yeah. And so to me, it's like, it's that gorgeous sports car just sitting there with the best handcrafted motor on the market available anywhere. It's sitting there. It's got all these beautiful features. The engine's great, but we don't know how to drive it. And we're a little scared to drive it and we don't know where to drive it anyway. Yeah. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah, totally agree. Like I definitely see that, you know, on my end where, you know, especially leaders who are making decisions or executives who are trying to set strategy, um, it's difficult for them to do so well because they don't often understand what the capabilities truly are within the organization. And then depending on the culture of your organization, where in some organizations, executives actually solution where they shouldn't be and just push down recommendations of what should be done. And then the teams below them go and do it. You you end up in situations where you're you're vastly underutilizing the tools and capabilities that you have. And so you know you're probably you're definitely more of an expert than I am. But I know number of health systems who with their own you know content management systems are vastly underutilizing what's capable. And and like I said, the people up at up at the top don't even know that that even exists or that's even possible. So it's definitely a challenge we're trying to solve for. The other thing too, Jared, and I think you alluded to it, is healthy, or at least incumbent health systems, you know, try to acquire all these new and bright and shiny solutions. You know, they hear from vendors, they go to conferences, and there's not a whole lot of people really working to make sure that all of those solutions integrate. I mean, the EMR is pretty good, pretty well integrated, but then there's no one checking, like doing a really good job at making sure that everything connects so that the experience for the patient doesn't feel clunky and sort of haphazard and patched together. And so those are two big areas that we need a lot of focus on in the future immediately. Yeah. Yeah. One example is, is a lot of different CRM systems. So customer relationship management known by a few different names, but a platform that is capturing all the data about how I communicate it out to patient XYZ or customer or consumer XYZ. They clicked on something on the website. They downloaded this thing. We emailed them this. We tried to call them this. They, they tried to call in for an appointment. La, 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 la. So a record of all those touch points. And there are ways that that ties into a marketing automation platform that automates a lot of that. But you still have all these different systems. 
And then you're sitting there and, and saying uh, something like a CRM only works when it's like the Ferrari. It only works when, when you give it the right gas in the tank. So a CRM system is only going to give you that promised better state of your marketing if you give it the right input. It's yeah. a lot of a lot of different AI tools. Well, every AI tools in theory the same thing. It's only as good as the input that you give it. And yeah. so, you know, there, it's just another thing here. And so, I think where it leads, I, I think that's the status quo is that we've been managing platforms and not results, and we're not taking this historical look at all the silos of expertise that we've created along the way. How do they integrate? How do we talk to each other to figure out? have a better baton handoff in this relay race. So I, I think the opportunity to innovate is really along the lines of, of how do we, you know, where do we go from here? Well, ironically, I, I think it's something that's interesting that, that really comes down from the IT side a lot of times. IT has a great framework that is typically known as something like business process improvement. Mm -hmm. And that is a, a very heavy operational component to it. Mm -hmm. It's not just in the terms of a of an IT platform is it like what's the uptime are the integrations all correct you know what's our support schedule security aspects of it like the basics mm -hmm. of IT um, we're really talking about the operationalizing aspect of all these tech platforms that we've got so we've got all these tools how do they work together we're asking a different set of questions as a result. If we yep. think about it when it comes down as business process improvement, then we are. We're not going to be talking about, hey, how do we just do this one little thing in a vacuum, like this one little aspect of, of this one certain tool. We're going to be asking a broader question about the experience from A to Z and realize, oh, that's actually four different platforms that need to integrate together. And there's data that sits underneath them. How does that data flow from one system to the other. So really different questions even to be asked at that point. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I think to taking more of a designer's approach or human-centered design approach to all this, where in some sense you disassociate yourself for a minute from what technologies you have and really go hard on figuring out what is it that consumers actually want and holding sort of that desirability metric is the thing that doesn't change, the independent variable. And then for, you know, okay, if that's what they actually want, then what are potentially the tech solutions that would feed into it? And then asking the question is, does it make sense from a business perspective uh, to acquire these capabilities and maintain them? That's definitely something I see how systems miss all the time. The other thing too I have noticed is for some of the big platforms and tools and capabilities that health systems use, be it the EMR or the CRM, the Salesforce, whatever, what often happens is these institutions get caught up in the innovation cycle and agenda of those platforms. So how those companies are mm. thinking about inventing, reinventing their own tool as opposed to creating their own uh, cycle and roadmap and then telling these tools how they need to bend. And so I've seen that a number of times with health systems that I've worked with where, you know, we, you know, leaders say, or through research, we discover that patients want this. And then we go to the vendor and say, oh, well, unfortunately, we're not coming out with that for another two years or three years. Or, you know, we've never thought of that. We don't even think it's a good idea. And unfortunately, we become beholden to the innovation agenda, like I said, of those 
capabilities as opposed to of our patients and what we want. And that's something I think all health systems need to find a way to break out of. Man, that is so true. So true. I mean, I'm wondering what the antidote here, here is, you know, is it just being more prepared when we go to the vendors? Is it, I mean, maybe it's actually having that plan, yeah. <laughs> that roadmap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think you're right. Like you first have to be bold to say, hey, listen, we're smart. We can define our own roadmap based on the insights we're gleaning from our patients. Let's create one, whether or not that aligns to some of our big vendors. And now let's go to bat and say, vendors, get in line to support us. Um, this is what we need or we're going to find someone else. And I realize that's not always easy because some of these vendors are massive and there's a huge sunk cost into the investments we've made. But that also just brings up the fallacy of sunk sunk costs and how many, you know, how far behind is healthcare? Because 10 years ago, we invested 10 million and we weren't willing to say no then. And now we've come and we've invested 200 billion. And now we're even, now we for sure aren't going to say no. And so had we, had we gotten out of the, the bad deal earlier, we could have been a lot further ahead today, potentially. Tell me more about that, just in terms of like, what, how much of it is a, the fallacy of sunk costs? I mean, this is just something we've got to, to factor in on this roadmap. Yeah. And it's not as simple as, well, we've, we have that platform. I even hear about even smaller systems where, where we're looking at certain types of platforms. Some people just assume sunk costs at a really low level. They're like, yeah. oh, well, we just can't even go back on that one thing. You're like, no, yeah. really, really you can. Like you're you not thinking should. broadly at all. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's table stakes. And just so for our listeners, you know, the fallacy of sunk cost is really a just to define it a little bit, it's an error in logic where we we think we can't go back on a decision because we've already invested either so much time or money into it, so much so that that investment that we already made isn't worth any potential upgain. So that's the fallacy of sunk cost. However, you know, if you do your research, you know, that may not be true. And so, you know, when I think about how increasingly, at least my perspective, is that health systems need to compete on experience, not quality. You know, they need to compete on having seamless digital integrations and beautiful digital front doors. Probably one of the biggest challenges that health systems face is their legacy EMRs that you're using, be it Cerner or Epic. Who, as much as these companies are innovative in their own right, they're still not as progressive as you know, other solutions that are out there. The problem is, and there might actually be a real sunk cost here, is health systems have invested hundreds of millions of dollars into these solutions and some of it was government mandated to do so, so you can't blame them. And so in a sense, some of these vendors have the industry in a chokehold because between Epic and Cerner, that covers the whole market. And so the, the, innovation, the innovation cycle within these big health systems, at least on the digital side, usually can only move as fast as the innovation agenda of these electronic medical record providers. Now, is there an opportunity to break with Epic and Cerner? Frankly, probably not, only since they're so huge. But it's it's sort of like a really good in- illustration of the principle. We're, we're caught in this sort of trap with these massive vendors who've been allowed to you know, bill health systems massive, massive amounts of money to deliver value that's questionable. Yeah, that's a great point. And when I look at it in terms of you know, how did we get here? Well, it is still the fact that digital is the great equalizer. So we yeah. had marketing and communications teams that gradually, you know, when they, the only digital platform used to be a content management system that they probably weren't even hosting themselves, you know, for a website yeah. and things have just 
added, and it's not even just the last decade, you know, give us the last 20, 25 years. At one point, there was the first digital tool that, that every health system had, and, and that was owned by a marketing or communications team. And yep. somebody had to figure out where it lives. And that question, at least in my experience, no one fully answered that question in a way that everyone fell in line. We're like, yes, that's the department that owns those aspects of yeah. digital. It seems like it just fell to whoever was willing to learn it and, yeah. and had some kind of, uh, of ability with it. Yep. And so, you know, that, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I remember I worked for Erie Shores Healthcare in Ontario, Canada, and being young, the youngest person on the leadership team, you know, I knew my way around a content management system not because I was a marketing expert, but because I was young and I could figure out how to update the website. And before you know it, I became the webmaster and was fielding all these calls from hospital leadership about, you know, how could we put this on our website? How could we do that? And on public healthcare is way, I'm way, way far behind on the digital game. But just to be funny for a minute, our first digital capability on our website was really, it was just a form that people could fill out um, that would allow them to send a thank you note to some of our nurses or physicians or leadership. And I remember when we, when that became live, it was such a big deal. <laughs> you know, it had to start somewhere. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, you know, it's, you know, besides giving us a, you know, a bit of a laugh, I guess we can look back and say, you know, like what, I guess just looking back that far actually leads me to think, you know, what, what can I do about it now? What's my call to action here? Mm-hmm. You know, what's a tactical step that people can take? And I, I do see the opportunity here. I think you gave us a couple of great ones already to create your business process improvement plan, your tech stack plan, not just what we happen to have now as this kind of Frankenstein collection of systems, but a genuine mapping out of what are all those platforms? What are they good for? You almost certainly have overlapping features and benefits between them? What's the data that lies underneath them? What is flowing from where to where? I mean, so there are some pieces of, again, of that IT business process improvement process that are very beneficial. And it doesn't matter where any of those parts live anymore. Let's start mapping that out and saying, where do we want to go? And start that, to your point, Zane, with an experience design mindset and yeah. work backwards, not just because you happen to have certain tools. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I would, I would say that that's my call to action to double call to action on that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, Zane, it's so, it's so good to talk through this. I mean, our, our goal here is just to provide a little bit more provocative thinking and, and really shake us loose from these old mindsets. So if we've done that today, then we've done our job. Yes. Thanks so much, Jared. I appreciate you always hosting this forum to have these conversations. So many vendors, so little time Expecting me to know them all is practically a crime But it's what my job's about yeah. It makes me want to shout yeah. I need some help deciding who to use without a doubt Something everyone wants Like a secret decoder Something everyone needs Like your own baby Yoda Help me to choose I can't afford to lose Isn't there a website that I really ought to use? Martech.health Martech.health Do yourself a favor, check it out for yourself Need to find a vendor? This is the way Martech.health Who you gonna pick today? Martech.health is the vendor directory built specifically for healthcare marketing, communications, and digital professionals. People like you. Founded and run by the OG himself, Healthcare Internet Hall of Famer Ed Bennett. It's designed to make your next vendor selection process less painful. 
And here's why. Over 600 vendors across 40 industry categories, verified vendor reviews and ratings from your peers, a resource library of articles, videos, and events, plus an anonymous messaging tool to get your vendor questions answered without worrying about endless callbacks. All of this is free to use and share. Check it out at martech.health. So check this out, y'all. I got Drew Diskin back in the house. Uh, Drew's a 15-year veteran and digital marketing leader within the healthcare space. He's worked with some of the nation's leading academic medical centers, regional health systems, laboratory testing companies, health insurance brands, and medical device startups. And if you know him personally, you know this. Like He's passionate about innovating for the consumer and doing it in a way that helps the business at the end of the day do better business. In other words, helps people make money. Also, while doing this, all innovating around the customer. Welcome, Drew. Let's just start with that. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm very excited about the days, the weeks, and the months ahead. Very proud of our pharmaceutical partners who just innovated their way to uh, almost a normal lifestyle for us. And so we're racing against the clock still, but it's uh, things are looking much better. I'm very happy to see... Uh, see businesses getting back on their feet again. Yeah, likewise. We were just checking right before we hit record that it's been close to a year. It was it was last May that I had last had you on the program. It's hard to believe what kind of world it, it is now versus that when we're even thinking about in terms of percentages that have been vaccinated, percent of the population that's been vaccinated. I mean, it's it is such a different world. Yes, and what's encouraging is talking to People now that are venturing outside, people that are learning to adapt their businesses. I watched local restaurants double down on their customers. And even though it was really hard for them to stay afloat, they found new ways to innovate around taking care of their community. It's the way they saw it. I watched owners of these restaurants, you know, cook the meals and deliver them to people who couldn't be mobile, knowing full well that they weren't a delivery company the day before, but they were going to make sure that people got good food and the type of service that they had given them all the years prior and just the focus on the customer from different perspectives. So saw a lot of heroes in the last year, obviously frontline workers and people who every day went to work at retail grocery stores and gas stations and those who were out there, they made sure they could get there. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. The thought of how that's happened outside of our typical comfort zone, our our typical community, our typical industry, the extent to which that we've seen that type of collaboration is one of the most encouraging parts of the last year for me as well. So when you think about like, what's the what's the latest awesome thing that, that you've come across lately? Uh, would it be something along those lines or, or like it doesn't have to be healthcare related, but uh, some, something awesome that, that you've come across or heard about lately? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. You know, one of the things that I find impressive is that there's a, a focus now on fixing the business itself. Now that things have changed, not knowing if it's for good, not knowing if it will last forever this way. We hear things like hybrid models. We hear things about, you know, virtual offices where the connected employee, you know, can be across the country. Recruiting's changed. But for me, with the clientele that I deal with, I'm watching a lot of leadership take place in different parts of the organization, not only from those up top who say, 
we need to be able to adapt to this new norm, whatever that is. But people who have been really involved in the details of tactics, coming up with strategies, things that can help the business do better or serve the customers in a way that was not done before. And so this leads to business process management, business process improvement. And I'm watching the exchange between what would be silos becoming a lot more fluid. It's happening by necessity and it's happening organically. So now is really interesting time for us because they're trying to figure out things for their future, which they know can't be the way it was a year ago. Yeah, well, I think that kind of leads us into kind of our, when we're talking about what challenge we're referring to today, because as we kind of go down the MarTech rabbit hole, if you will, mm-hmm. you don't typically think about things like what you just said, business process improvement and business operations. And I really like this as a direction here, because that hasn't been the status quo. That hasn't been what you typically associate with anything marketing or sales enablement, anything along that side. At the end of the day, what's growing our business? What's helping us keep the lights on and and grow revenue? Uh, It's not typically, from marketing's standpoint, there have just been so many other things. Maybe they've been distracting us to a certain extent, or maybe there's just been so much that has spun up in terms of learning what platforms and what tools do we adopt to make that plan possible? And how do we even know what's even possible anymore. I think about when we look at like the role that data-driven marketing plays in there, that's something that has kind of come to the forefront over the last few years. Uh, There are a lot of healthcare organizations that glad to say that understand it now that are, that's the way that they are truly uh, guiding themselves to recover revenue from this last year. If it's hard to think of anything that's more important right now than recovering revenue. And if we just looked at at MarTech itself, under the traditional marketing silo, I think it's it's limiting. So it sounds like, well, let's just go there for a second in terms of how things have typically been. Like, what's the status quo in terms of MarTech at healthcare organizations? Sure, sure. It's a great point. And we still have the same people in the same jobs with the same workflows. And yes, they now have data and they've been collecting data. So what are you going to do with it? Now you have the stuff you asked for. What are you going to do with it? You now know more about your customer than you ever did. But what are you going to do now that you know maybe the answers, maybe their intent, you've followed their actions, their engagement? What are you going to, and can can the organization serve those needs now that you know where you've been strong, where you can do better, is the organization willing to change things? And when you look at it that way, that's clearly something that it shakes the status quo because there are divisions and positions and people who are focused in that channel and that swim lane. And right now there's no more lanes. So they have to change the way they synchronize their swimming, if you will. Yeah, I like that. There are no more lanes. That's so true. We just piled on and piled on and piled on. And it is, it's the same people in the same roles. And we're like, okay, now you've got all this stuff. Now, what would we call like operationalizing the data? I mean, what, to your question, what do we do with it? That has the, we're great in marketing about talking about stuff, about, oh yeah, I mean, who who's going to disagree that data is important? 
you know, that, yeah, we, of course we want to know about our customer. And of course we know everything about them already because we're in marketing. It's, I guess the pandemic has just brought this all under a new light. It's helped us really see the true value we bring and the role that MarTech plays in it. So someone in a, in a traditional role may have pre-pandemic, uh, you're sitting there in a MarTech role and you're responsible to, let's use that word, operationalize this, your CRM, maybe a consumer data platform, you know, tie in a marketing automation platform so that you're not having to do things manually. You are learning what can come in and come out of your EHR for the same purposes. And yet who's driving that, like that effort? I think that was, that was a big question traditionally in terms of what the challenge has been and what has limited it up to this point. Hard to know, like who's driving, like you might've just bought the Ferrari, you know, or, you know, it's sitting in the garage and now uh, not only are you comfortable driving that thing, are you comfortable knowing where you're going to drive it? And do you have someone who's capable of doing that? And, you know, that, that that's how I, where I keep thinking about it. Like that's where we've been at least. Absolutely. It's an older Ferrari. Most people, you know, don't even know how to drive stick. So here you go. You got this beautiful machine and you can't get it out of the garage. So you've made the investment. The investment is in a big CRM. You've made a huge investment in marketing automation. You've made a brilliant investment in, you know, finding a doctor and getting your physicians and your providers out there to the community, outside the website, into the internet of things. And now you have the ability to fulfill the demand that's out there. But what have you done on the inside to support that? Do you have the right people? Do you have the right process? And do you have the right approach to match those needs that you decided that this was the right idea? And it may have been, but now what? Even your your privacy policy, you're now collecting more information than you ever did. It's no longer just about Google Analytics. It's about personal behavior and actions correlating to a specific campaign to somebody's keywords that drove them to your physician. And you now know not only that lifetime revenue potential, because you can model it out, but you can now see what other family members they affect if they are ahead of the health household. So how are you going to help them? You got it. This is what you wanted. So what are you going to do? (laughs) <laughs> this used to be a technology question, and now this is very much a people and culture question and a an, an operations question. What are you going to do with it? That's up to the person. We know the capabilities. Well, in a lot of cases, we actually don't even know all the capabilities yet. I think that's that's the irony of all this. So when we think about like ways to opportunities to innovate here, opportunities to change the trajectory of what we're doing with all of these tools. A couple of things come to mind, but, I, but I, I'd love to go down this road that, that you introduced us to of doing this under an umbrella of business process improvement. Walk us through that line of thinking and how that's beneficial to, to change the way we even think about what we're doing with all of these tools. I appreciate you asking that. I try and break things down into just a few bites. So I think there's four elements that I would touch on to see how we can reimagine the way we do things. So one, new workflows. I like to call it operationalizing the brand promise. The brand promise sits on top of the organization, our position in the marketplace, 
We tell people what we're going to do for them, what they should expect from us. And we do a great job in commercializing and packaging that. But then how do we deliver that package? How do we receive the information and the feedback we get real time? So employees may be in the wrong roles because they may not be able to respond to that new, that new delivery mechanism. There are unsung heroes in the organization who may have those answers, but don't have a voice because they are in also the wrong role. And when I mean wrong role, it's not because they should be out of the organization. They may need to be higher up in the organization. There are people who can make decisions because they understand inherently the issues that can be solved with the technologies, with the new approaches, and with, again, that promise. So I think, so new workflows. The second one is about staying connected throughout the entire life cycle. And I'm saying the word life cycle, it's not about a transaction, but a series of touch points. We typically look at marketing as, as funnels. And we saw this funnel as, as, you know, getting awareness out there, that interest would start to happen. And then we see this engagement taking place. And then we look to convert. And we say, okay, we got them. Well, we don't really have them. We have the beginning of something. I see it more like an hourglass. So now that conversion leads to onboarding. And that brings into a whole new relationship and how people are treated and what they should expect. And then the maintenance of that relationship. And then we improve on that relationship. There may be other things that we can do or that are needed from us. And over time, that last phase, as the hourglass, you know, kind of broadens again, that's when we see the evangelizing, the ratings, the reviews, the, the patient stories, the physician stories, the fundraising that takes place from grateful patients, all these important aspects that come back and creates another level of awareness. And it's, it's a virtuous cycle. And it continues to flow that way. And so to think of staying with the customer throughout that, and when I think of operationalizing, who's doing that? Who's responsible for that person all the way through? So typically we've handed off patients with like a baton in a relay race, but who's watching the whole race? Who's responsible for that? So to stay with my cheesy analogy, who ensures they win? at the end of the race. So that's the second. The third is rethinking journeys as touch points. So when you look backwards, it's a journey, but not everyone is going on a journey. So when you think of, when you think of a person and they are looking for care, they don't tell their loved ones they're going on a journey. They're telling their loved ones that they're going to do research about a condition their primary care physician told them they may have. They were told that they may need to find a specialist that can help them in their care. They may need to find out if the insurance company can pay for a procedure that may help them with this condition. And they have to make sure that their pharmacist is also accepting of that medication that may come. But at no point is the patient saying, I'm on a journey. It's, I have to deal with these individual pieces. I hope it's coordinated enough that nobody drops the ball which is me. So in that experience, these are touch points. And so 
when we break down the web and these digital experiences and these physical experiences, they're still emotional experiences. But in the end, people are learning to learn that they're learning more about something. So that's one thing you're doing. And then they're taking action. Or sometimes they just have to take action and then learn more on the way. But there's there's a shifting balance needed at any one of these touch points. And so if I looked at all the touch points and I could say within each touch point, there's a learning more and a taking action and a balance between them. It may be more one than the other, depending where we are. But then when you look backwards and then you say it's a journey, you could see where the influences are or those gaps in care. So it's not just what's missing. It's what does that experience look like at these micro moments? So that's the third. And on the technology side, the fourth piece, as the technologies evolve, so it needs to be the, the sales process. And I'm talking about the vendors that are partners in the care. So let the organization test drive and show the metrics for success. Don't promise an ROI. Show it with the organizational data. Less PowerPoint, more in practice, test drive. Let me see. Now, with that comes the transparency on both sides, the health systems and health providers, others that are involved in the care of patients need to be able to say, here's some of my data. It doesn't have to be the patient data. You could create data without someone's name on it, but you can say, help me understand how we can work this through how we do our business. We're trying to reinvent all of it ourselves or some of it at this moment. Show me. And I think there are some organizations through this COVID pandemic that did that. So I don't think it's not possible. I watched many organizations lend themselves to just supporting supporting the cause, which was obvious to everyone. It was really need-based. And I watched a lot of that transparency become collaboration. Those sales processes speak for themselves. You're already my partner. I don't have to promise you. I just need to deliver. And so I think that fourth piece is helps that innovation happen in, in, in what I would think is the new norm. So new workflows that operationalize the brand promise, staying connected with the customer throughout the entire life cycle, you know, taking the responsibility for that, rethinking journeys as touch points and the balance between learning more and taking action and the technologies that will drive a lot of new ways of doing business needs to be demonstrated, if not real time, near time, so that you can see what the effect would be. Man, I really like this this line of thought here, you know, just kind of just riffing here for a second, because you touched upon the, the three components here, the tech itself, the data that we get from it, and the people who are managing it. And the interplay between those three is what, if we just focus on one of them, or if we even just leave you know one of them out of that equation, it can lead us to where a lot of organizations are today in terms of not being sure, like just not even knowing what they're capable of or somehow thinking that talking about it enough is going to get us to where we need to go. The evolution, especially on the tech side and the data side is something that, you know, I don't know, I necessarily saw coming a few years back and the sophistication of MarTech tools over the last, say, five to six years is remarkable. And I have not seen, at least at scale, the talent level keep pace with that. 
I think we've let the tech outpace our ability to understand how to use the tech. And so I think that that's one of the challenges here. And so even recognizing that is part of it, but that still doesn't get us there. It's through some of the pieces you were just sharing, the operationalizing, the understanding of touch points versus journeys. I love that one. Like, I I mean, I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while and what it means in terms of how to do things. And I think uh, when I just like helping shake us loose from old mindsets. And a lot of that has to do with how we word things. And so when you're talking about the, like, these are all things, I guess just a a tactical question are, so are these like business process improvement techniques and initiatives and goals? Are these things that typically just marketing leadership is, is involved in, or is it, is it other departments? Is it it? Like, like who's, who's typically responsible for that? So organizations are, on the outside, they look very similar. But the inside, sometimes leaders are in, in the middle. You may have a group of managers and directors who really just run not only day-to-day, but strategic points. And their leadership supports them wholeheartedly. Like, that's why you're here. We support you. Do what you need to do. Let us know how we can help. Right? Some organizations, very, very structured. If it doesn't come from the top first, the groundswell just doesn't bubble up. So even though there are initiatives on, you know, ideation and coming up with the best new approach to things, it very seldom does it really get to the top. And so that's, an, you know, those are extremes, right? Where you have leadership that's in there and they're involved. It's not whether it's the CIO or the chief medical officer or the CEO. It's yes. Who wants to grow their organization coming out of what we've just endured. Who wants to focus on their customers and employees as a core part of their future and throw away the egos, and this is the way we used to do things, and think about why do people come here to begin with? And at our core, are we still delivering on that? Have we lost our way? Or we haven't. So how do we make sure that that continues on? Because half of all the customers, and I'm using the word customers because patients have choice, now have more choices. So whether it's access to care, your insurance won't cover them, but it will somewhere else. Price transparency, am I getting the same value for the same result? And then when you look at population health and telehealth and some of the other very, very important initiative that came out of this last year, are we set up the right way to make this as efficient as possible for everyone involved? And so the commitment to the resources, the investment in outside resources to help some of these partner companies or experts can come in and say, look, you're going to have to be able to wear some tough skin today, maybe put on your Teflon and hopefully, you know, you won't go home crying, but no one said the truth is pretty. So are you willing? Are you willing? And then your internal teams, giving them permission and the encouragement to help them change the status quo. So it's not all on the leadership. There are people in the organization with great ideas. Listen, be open-minded. And if it helps, you have the ability to collect data, to test your populations to operationalize a piece of it, create a skunk works type of an initiative where you can try it out at a new outpatient center versus the whole institution. 
And then you, you can adapt faster if you have an idea of how you're going to deliver. Well, I like this. I, I think this is the question that, that we ought to be asking. I mean, at least for the next 12 months, possibly longer, how do we innovate the process side of things, the, the operational side of things to match the tools that we that are now available and that a lot of organizations have at their disposal and don't know how to use it correctly. So uh, I guess that would lead me to to a thought of uh, our call to action, which is, you know, where what's a tactical step that leaders can take to, to start going down this road? Might not get us all the way to the destination, but what, what's the solid first step? So I, I think it, it has a lot to do with a lot of the leaders' continuation of what they started when there became more of an acceptance that COVID was not a blip on the map. It was, it was a serious pandemic. I watched a lot of leaders become visible. I'm sure you did too. I think a lot of communities look to the leadership to provide guidance and strength in, uh, in just communication, even though there was a lot of uncertainty. I think it's a continuation of that because I would not ever consider any of the leaders out there today sitting on their haunches. I know they're working on some very important future plans, but to take that one step further to give permission to those within the organization to help develop the best ideas, to really utilize all these great minds that they've hired and then to make decisions. And ultimately that's where it's going to matter, making the decisions and not waiting another year to make that decision or another budget cycle or a year and a half to get a capital investment together. It's how about we just try it out for a couple months and then if it's good, we will get the capital to support it. And that goes back to the partnership, whether it's marketing technology or other clinical providers trying out things that would serve their patients and their employees the best. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that. I think, you you know, that if we can just be thinking about it this way, if we can just recognize the value of test driving it, like you said, of, of even just going that down this direction, we're, we're going to see more progress. We're going to give ourselves a better opportunity to figure it out. This is all about mindsets. This is all about operations and it's all about culture. And as we recognize that, that's one thing that's encouraging to me is I'm hearing more conversations happening about this side of things. I mean, you've got uh, Ed Marks, the former CIO of uh, Cleveland Clinic, you know, and now with the HCI group, uh, his new book, Healthcare Digital Transformation, uh, which it's taken me a while to get through it only because it's one of those like, oh, like I'm going to read a paragraph and then I got to think about that a lot. Uh, but it's, it's great. And one of the parts I just came across was basically how health systems, yeah, the, the thing that you kind of feared that you thought is that there might not be a quick, easy path to revenue recovery. And there's still some investments in digital transformation that you need to make that aren't necessarily going to pay off in the short term. But now, now or never, <laughs> like, like right now. So figure it out because you're going to be even, you're going to put yourself in better position by making those investments now, even though you recognize, yeah, like that doesn't, that, that one initiative, whether it is, you know, he didn't talk necessarily MarTech, he was talking about broader digital platforms, but you can make the same case for sure. Get, you know, upgrading your ecosystem around your CRM data that in and of itself might not bring you to where you want to go in the short term, but this is the right time to make that investment if you haven't made it up until now. So 
Man, I, I think we could would keep going down this road because there's so much to talk about. I want to give you one one final chance to to give us any parting thoughts, uh, anything we haven't talked about yet that you'd want our marketing leaders to know and think about. It's really about having the organizational fortitude that's gotten them through this pandemic to continue on as they should be emboldened, but not with bravado, right? They should think of themselves as as survivors and not act like heroes, right? They are heroes. So you don't need to put a label on it. You need to thank your employees by treating them well now, giving them a break, finding the resources to support them. And so the pat on the back, great. Now just protect them, do what you can. And having that empathy for your employees, for your patients, your providers, even payers and pharmacy and other logistics that are a part of the whole supply chain, thinking about how can we do better? Where do we fall down? If this happens again, what can we do differently? And thinking of being nimble as an organizational mandate, but as a cultural understanding that we have to be better to serve the populations we promised to protect. Man, so much to think about. Uh, Drew, thanks as always for being a part of this, for giving us a few minutes, giving us a ton to think about and uh, giving us some direction to go on. Always a pleasure. Tell us uh, where we can find you or connect with you if people want to get a hold of you. My website is ddstrategies.net. And uh, you could Google my name, Drew Diskin. I probably pop up here and there. I am... Drew Diskin on Twitter. And I think there's so much of so much of the world's problems now front and center. It's sometimes really hard to, to know where to start. And I would just encourage everyone, it just starts with a conversation introspectively. What are we really good at? What, what are we here to do? And to seek partnerships wherever, internally and externally, to find a better way to grow and manage the future. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Drew. Catch you next time. Thank you. Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare, but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you travel down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. Thanks to Zane and Drew, and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, 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 please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Please go check it out at Shift.Health. It's a free network of podcasts and video series. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap.